Please remain standing as you're able. Likely in Jesus' day when they came before God's word, they stood for God's word, but they also recited together the Shema of ancient Israel beginning with Deuteronomy 6.4. And we follow that practice here in our church. So if you'll follow after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Hag. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Last week, Dinah got us started on the parables from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13, and we pick up with the next parable that Jesus told in chapter 13, verse 24. This is called the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. Then Jesus told them another parable, saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who planted good seed in his field. While everyone was sleeping one night, an enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds appeared with them also. So the owner of the field servant came to him and said, Sir, did you not plant good seed in your field? How then did these weeds come up? Uh, How did we find weeds that came up from the field? And the man said, An enemy has done this. And they said, Do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? He said, No. Let them grow together until the harvest, lest in pulling up the weeds you will uproot the wheat as well. He said, I will tell my harvesters, collect all the weeds and bundle them together at the time of the harvest to be burned, and then put all of the wheat in my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. If our Lord had a Godmobile, have you ever wondered what bumper stickers might be on the back? I've wondered that if there might be one that would say, my child rules the universe. Or maybe on the other one, other side of the bumper, perhaps even slightly smaller, I could almost see one saying, stuff happens. You know, because both those things are true. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through whom the universe was created, according to Paul, rules the universe. And yet at the same time, we look around and we see such difficult and hard things in our world. The truth of the matter is that our world is ruled by a loving and powerful God. And yet at the same time, there are so many things in our world that don't go as we would like them to go. There are so many instances of what we might call weeds in God's garden. One of the interesting metaphors for God all the way through the Bible, if you start with the Garden of Eden and go all the way through the Revelation 21 and 22, is you find the image of God as a gardener. God will plant a vineyard. God will plant a garden. God will plant a field. Over and over you see this, and it's not surprising that when Jesus rises from the dead, the first person he meets is Mary, and she thinks he's a gardener. It is a double message in the Gospel of John that that's exactly what Jesus is. But at the same time, it's also true that if God has a garden, if God has a field, if God has a vineyard, there are weeds. There are things in there that do not belong. And what do you do with it? 
Well, I don't know if I have a complete and full answer for that this morning, but I can tell you that Jesus knew this was an issue. And so he told the parable of what we call the wheat and the tares, or are the wheat and the weeds. It seemed that Jesus knew that for a lot of his followers, the weeds would bother them. The fact that there were weeds in God's garden would tend to lead them to question the goodness or the power or the authority of God. They look around like we do today and they see difficult things. Uh, One of the beliefs that the Jews had before Jesus came was that when the Messiah comes, the Romans will go. That when the Son of God comes, he will be so wonderful that there's no way evil will ever be able to stand in his presence. That's a belief they had. So what happens when he comes claiming to be the Son of God and evil is still present? And evil is still present as it was in the Roman-occupied Israel 2,000 years ago. It's present today as well. Human trafficking, racism, relationships that are broken through falsehood, disease, poverty, war... You don't have to be looking too closely to find an abundance of weeds in our world. I have to admit to you that while I was on vacation last Sunday, I skipped church. And on that Sunday, we went to a museum in London. And in that museum, they had a a new Holocaust exhibit. And we walked through it. And I'll tell you, you can't walk through a Holocaust memorial or exhibit and come out the other side the same. It raises questions it disturbs it challenges and you wonder how could those weeds have existed like that in god's world i don't have an answer for that the only thing i know is that jesus must have sensed that people were asking that question but the other thing i sense from the order in which jesus tells a story is jesus wasn't too troubled by those weeds In other words, Jesus didn't think the presence of weeds in God's field nullified what God was doing with that field. It did not indicate that God was not the owner of the field, that God was not the grower of the field. The presence of weeds among the wheat, I think uh, Jesus was willing to admit, but he wasn't willing to say that because of that, God was no longer in control. And so he went on. And he tells some more about the parable. And in the parable, they, they see these weeds and they come to the owner and they, they tell him about it. And the owner says, an enemy has done this. And I think Jesus telling that parable knows that there are some folks who look at all the weeds in the world. And their attention goes immediately from the weeds to the evil one who must have planted the weeds. And so their whole effort is to think about and wrestle with the issue of the evil one. We call the evil one the devil or Satan. And I don't think you have to spend much time in the scripture at all to realize that the Bible teaches that there is an evil one. The Lord's Prayer that we just said with Donna leading us. As you may know, one of the alternate versions which is equally attested to in the Bible is not just deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one. It's no question that Jesus believed that there was Satan. And so I think he knew in his midst there will be a lot of people who get focused on the evil one as the cause of all of these weeds uh, that were flourishing. And I think Jesus gives that credence, but again, he doesn't seem to spend a whole lot of time there. I think Jesus knows a couple things that are, are real important for me to share with you this morning. The first one is, though there is an evil one, the evil one's powers are extremely limited. Too often I think we grow up as Christians and we tend to think, well, there's God and there's a devil as almost as if they are equal and opposite. 
When scripturally, that's not true at all. There's God and there's everything else. And basically, serving God are angels and there's the good angels and then there's the angels that turn against God who are led by Satan, the evil one. So the evil one at best is an angel who has, who has very um, a shadow, just a mere reflection of any of the power uh, that God would have. Uh, the New Testament tells a story about Moses. You'll remember we, we spent several months studying Moses. That when Moses died, the evil one wanted the body of Moses, says uh, the New Testament letter of Jude. And he wrestled an archangel, Michael, for the body and lost the wrestling match. So before you give the evil one too much credit, realize he's not even the strongest of all of the angels. And I think Jesus knew that Jesus knew that we need to acknowledge there was evil, but not to give it too much credence. I think the other thing Jesus knew, quite frankly, is half the problems that are in this world and probably half the reason there are weeds among the wheat is just our own fault. Just we make poor decisions. We're inclined to do things that we're not supposed to do. We're inclined to leave undone good things that we should do. As the scripture says, uh, the inclination of human hearts are, all, are um, evil often. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things when it's separated from God. So I think Jesus would have known a lot of the problem is simply our own sin. That, that uh, the weeds are there and difficulties are there because we've messed up. So we don't want to overemphasize the enemy's role without recognizing that we play a role as well. As a story, it's not in the Bible, but it's an interesting story about an evil spirit that comes to God, the ruler of the universe, one day and says, I'm bored. And God says, well, you know, go ahead, start something on earth. Just, you know, just go ahead, just try. God wasn't afraid, just said, go, go and see what you can do. And the evil spirit said, I tried that. He said, but before I can get down and plant an idea in somebody to cheat or to steal or commit adultery, they've already done it. And, of course, the moral of the story was that we don't need the evil one's help. Lots of times we just kind of go and do it ourselves. So it's interesting to me that Jesus gave credence to the fact that there are weeds in God's field. I mean, there are things that happen that shouldn't happen. And God gives credence to the fact that there is an evil one who's out there trying to sow trouble. But that doesn't seem to be the point of Jesus' story. Watch it go further. Then Jesus says that the owner says to the people who want to pull up the wheat, don't do it yet. Don't do it. Because in pulling up the wheat, weeds, you might get the wheat as well. There's an early stage in Israel with the grain that they're talking about and the darnel, the, the poisonous um, weed, where they look very much alike. And it takes some time to tell the difference between the two. What I, I'm saying is this, that if you look at Jesus in the parable, he seems not to have a big problem with the fact that there are weeds. He acknowledges they're there. doesn't seem to have a major problem in the fact that the evil one's in there because he knows he exists. But his issue seems to be around those of us, like me, who might want to jump out and attack the evil right away, who see it as our job to correct everything that we think is wrong, who make it our number one goal to stamp out what appears to be evil are weeds to us. And his encouragement is, hold on. Just wait a minute. Let things grow. Let things develop. And we'll begin to see what really is of God and what's really not of God. 
It's interesting, one of the commentators on this parable said, have you ever noticed in our world how God's worst enemies turned out to be those who were acting as God's best friends? Have you ever noticed that those of us who think we speak for God and we act for God actually cause more trouble for God? Because sometimes we condemn things that God doesn't really condemn or we attack people that God wouldn't attack. We fail to love those who Jesus would have loved. And in the name of God, we actually damage the cause of God. And I think that Jesus knew this was a possibility. So the real issue in the parable is not that there are weeds. There are. Not that there's an evil one. There is. But the fact that those of us who love and believe so strongly in God are a little too hasty to pull the trigger. A little too hasty to stamp out what appears to be evil to us. It's interesting that um, uh, one of the books uh, that is fairly current right now, and I'll be talking about it in my book reviews, which start next Sunday, is a book called The Next Christians. And it's an interesting look about how uh, evangelical, uh, Bible-believing, God-honoring people, you know, like us, um, the next generation behind us is a little different. And one of the things it says that they're different is when they come up against things that are wrong, they are, in the words of the book, provoked but not offended. In other words, when there's a problem with drugs, they don't attack the person using drugs. They try to help that person move toward health and healing. When uh, there is poverty, uh, they are less apt to to attack um, uh, what they see are the causes, but first move to help the person who's impoverished and move from there. That their first response is to be provoked to action rather than their first response is to get all indignant, upset, and start stamping out things and trying to pull up weeds wherever they can find them. And so I'm wondering if the generation behind me might actually be closer to what Jesus had in mind as a goal for us when he cautioned people like me, not so fast, not so fast going after those weeds. Well, does this mean that you never take a stand against evil? Well, of course not. All the way through the scripture, you will, take, you will see God and God's people, the prophets, Jesus himself, taking a stand against evil. I think it just gives us a cause to hit the pause button first. When we think something's wrong, first of all, have we done something to try to make it better before we attack what seems uh, and criticize the people who are part of what appears to be wrong? Have we watched it in that regard? I think that Jesus is calling us not to pull up things so much as to plant things, to plant the seeds of love wherever we may go, and that that would be our first response. There are times when we'll have to take a stand. Oh, I was on vacation. I read a book. I think many of you have read the new biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You'll remember him, a pastor in uh, Nazi Germany who leads an underground seminary because the church has gone after Hitler and they are in love with Hitler and, and he knows that's not right and that the, the, the state has become an idol for these people. And he goes underground. And for many people, they thought that was enough. Just don't fall in with the Nazis. Stay pure. That's what God is asking of you. But in his prayer life, Bonhoeffer decided that, in fact, wasn't enough that God was actively moving him not just from hiding from the Nazis, but actually conspiring to assassinate Hitler himself. And as you know, in the failed attempt on Hitler's life, uh, Valkyrie, if you saw the movie, July 20th, 1944, Bonhoeffer is rounded up uh, uh, 
he had already been imprisoned, but now he's collected and will be executed for his part in the assassination attempt on Hitler. There are times when you have to say that is evil, it's clearly evil, and I will stand up. But Jesus just says, but for most times, maybe we need to hit the pause button and say, is there something I can plant here rather than my first response be to tear up? I think this was illustrated best for me in a story you've heard before. In his book, All I Ever Need to Know, I learned in kindergarten. Years ago, Robert Fulgham tells a story of a man who grew up in Greece, Alex Papaderos. Grew up as a child in World War II, and he and his friends in Greece found a bombed-out jeep. And they played with parts of the bombed-out jeep. And one of the parts they played with was a broken part of a side-view mirror on the jeep. And what they figured out they could do is take the mirror and hold it up to the sun and then reflect light to different places. So he said it began to be a game for us. We would take the, the mirror and try to shine light down alleys or, or in holes or any place we found darkness, we would try to reflect light into the darkness. Papadero said, I didn't realize that what I was doing as a child would become a metaphor for my life. That my life would be spent trying to shine the light of God into the dark places. I think that's what Jesus is after in this parable. There's darkness to be sure. But before we curse it, before we stomp on it, could we shine a light? Could we plant a seed?